0: This is The Other 14 Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 18 of The Other 14 Podcast, the only podcast that forgets all about the so-called Big Six and focuses just on the other 14 teams of the Premier League. We've had a week off from Premier League action, but that does not mean that football stops. We have had a round of the FA Cup, a new managerial appointment and the tail end of the transfer window. To help me tackle all these big topics this week, I am joined by Tom. Hello, Rhys. Hello, Tom. Um, Tom, let's just get straight to it. Yes or no, will Sean Dyche keep Everton in the Premier League? Yes. Perfect. So his appointment uh, was made during this week and he was from early on one of the uh, bookies favorites to get the job. So in terms of his experience, so he was Burnley manager for just under 10 years until not too far from this time last year. Um, At Burnley, he oversaw 425 games and kept them in the Premier League for five consecutive seasons and included a European run um, before he was then dismissed at the end of the 21-22 season where he wasn't given the chance to see out the rest of the season and attempting to keep them up. So do you think that's the CV of someone that would definitely keep this Everton squad in the league? On the face of it,
1: it's not a glamour signing or anything like that. But to be honest with you, I don't think that's what Everton need right now. They just need someone who can work in the situation with the constraints that Everton seem to be under right now, which is sort of very much in the mire very much under pressure in terms of where they are in the table but you know Deitch has a um Deitch has a history of working with a shoestring budget not I'm not saying that Everton do have that but allowing him further access to potentially more sort of funds available he could you know he's still got well I say he's still got time he's literally just got a couple of well, hours left in the transfer window. So ultimately what he's going to be left now with the squad is what he's going to have to face for the remainder of the season. Um, Ultimately, he can work with the squad. I think right now he seems to be quite happy with the team as it is right now. There was the potential of maybe the likes of a Conor Gallagher coming in uh, with Chelsea basically just trying to ship off players left, right and centre to try and appease the tax man. Um, But I don't think that's going to happen you know he's got incredible experience with the man um you know like you said he's been was burnley manager for what was it about 10 years yeah just on say. So. um you know he's got 258 premier league games under his belt of which is 172 you know it's not a, it's not a record that screams you know um premier league legend or someone who is going to aim to get everton high at the table but you know like you said he's a, he had burnley surviving five consecutive seasons in the Premier League, and that's no mean feat with, uh, you know, no disrespect for the for a club like Burnley. I just think, you know, he's got a bit of graft about him. He, he knows what he's doing. He's got a sort of philosophy about, you know, it's a bit of a cliche talking about philosophies, but I, I just generally think he's just a, a man who can sort of knuckle down and get on with the job and not be phased by any of the pressure, whereas I think, unfortunately, someone like Frank was, and that's ultimately what well led to his downfall.
0: Yeah, don't get me wrong. I think he... I think Everton have a better chance staying up with Dyche than they did with Lampard. Hmm. Um, And obviously I know we say our Dyche is a survivor. He did end up leading Burnley to some pretty like respectable and high finishes in the league. So in his time, they did finish. um, They got a seventh place and a 10th place finish as well as 15 through to 18th in his time. Um, So, I think he's more than just, I'll scrap it out at the bottom because he has been shown to work with the team well and develop them. I just think... I suppose he knows some of the Everton squad. So he's already managed um, James Tarkovsky. There is that. Michael Keane, Dwight McNeil. And obviously was able to get something out of them back then at Burnley. I I don't know. I just think this... This squad unless he's a real miracle worker i just i think part of their issues is i don't know where their goals are coming from and i suppose his philosophy has never been about free scoring no. and even if they are extremely tight at the back i just don't know how they're going to get the ball in the net
1: no you say that but I, you know you, we we touched on this last week um about Everton potentially being a little bit unlucky in terms of their results you know they haven't been sort of absolutely annihilated um, but they've just fallen short in most of the games that they've come across this year you know at some, at some point this year we were talking about Everton having one of the best defensive records in the league and it seems to have sort of slipped away slightly with Deitch, with his experience with that, he can then shore up. Because the first thing you want to do is you're coming into a team that's facing relegation. You want to you want to tighten up at the back. You want to start keeping those clean sheets. And I think that is number one. But a guy like Pickford at the back, and you've got a centre-back pairing of the likes of Tarkovsky and Cody, there is room to work there. And I think Deitch can do that for sure. Like you said, I think the issue is going to be goals. If he can keep DCL fit, that is going to be huge. Unfortunately, no longer have Anthony Gordon, obviously, with him going off to Newcastle now. We'll get into um, so that shortly for sure. That is but... going to be a big miss. But if one one player who um we haven't really sort of discussed too much with with Everton um at the time being, and he was quite influential at his time with Brighton, there's no Mope. If he can get Mope firing, yeah. unless He's not he injured is
0: he. Um I don't think so. Not serious standard, yeah. um if he is. I think, I think you're right. I suppose two things. Firstly, I DCL, if they can keep him fit, obviously brilliant. But he's been on such rotten form of recent. Yeah. Like, maybe we'll, we'll just take a new manager to give him that bit of, like, spark and inspire him to perform. Um, But he's been pretty nothing in every game that he's played recent. I, think, he, oh, I
1: just need some confidence. Yeah.
0: True. And I think you're right. Neil Mopé has scored goals in the Premier League. I don't think he's ever had a season where he's been unbelievable, but he is a goal scorer and he's experienced at it. I think that is... I think you're right there. I hadn't really thought about that, but Mopé could. could, If if he can get him going, admittedly he's got a bit of an attitude, which I don't think Dyche will have any time for because he's Mm -hmm. quite straight-laced to the point person. But... Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I think goals will be their issue now, trying to score them because I think it might be fairly stereotypical, but he knows how to run a fairly tight defence, and yeah. combination with Everton's squad being able to defend reasonably well. Yeah, um, we'll just wait and see.
1: Yeah, I think that was one of the things that he sort of mentioned when he when he came in. He did his sort of um, his, his interviews with obviously um, the Everton football uh, Everton football club, you know, their website, and um, the other day, sort of talking about. And, um, you know, everyone sort of being unified, getting everyone aligned under, under the same sort of singing under the same, um singing from the same hymn sheet rather. I think, you know, we we never really sort of discuss Burnley and a Deitch Burnley and having too many issues in terms of like discipline. Hmm. Yeah, um,
0: yeah.
1: And I think yeah. there has been a general sort of attitude issue with Everton um in general, just sort of, you know, players not really seeming to want to do it, not well, sort of,
0: but to... when you're in control of a squad for ten years, he handpicked all those players for such a long yes. period of time.
1: It's you know, it's whether or not he gets the time for that, and you know, he's effectively got. I think you know, he is a two and a half year deal for him, but I think it's a six month interview
0: process. Uh, so this is, this is this is what's really weird for me is that Everton have given him a two and a half year deal, and you're right. If they don't keep him up, I don't know. If they go down, I think he's the right person to keep to get them up again. But my thing with him being offered a two and a half year deal is that they were offering the job to Marcelo Bielsa literally but moment like not long before they yeah. gave it to Daesh. So the whole Bielsa situation, this is this goes down to Did you hear his request? It's, this is what I want to get into. So it goes to show that Everton have absolutely no, well, the hierarchy Everton have no idea how to run a football club yep. or what they actually want from the game. So they're currently sitting. I'm say I'm the boss of Everton. Um, Obviously, have to lower my IQ significantly. But he's going. They're going. So we need a manager to keep us in the Premier League. So we've got Sean Dyche who's available, who has routinely kept a team in the Premier League who has a weak squad. Yeah. No offense to Burnley, but they always operated on a smaller budget than every other yep. club in the league, pretty much. Or. Do we appoint Marcelo Bielsa, who kept leads in the league once and had a bit of a maverick streak about him? My thing, and then this is my issue, is that obviously Bielsa's gone, and you're like with Bielsa's request, is that Bielsa's gone, no, this squad is too rubbish for me. I don't think they can play the football I want. So he then said he would take control of their under 21s. <laughs> I love Six that. months until the summer And then regardless of if Everton Stay up or get relegated He'll then have the summer to build his own squad Yeah Which I kind of think Okay, fair enough They want... It's a bit left field it, but it's, I, it's, the I... two th- it's the two ways of thinking die yep. keep them safe Or Bielsa, some level of attractive Attacking football that will get fans excited You're probably going to lose 4-3 But at least the fans are entertained But my thing is, if Bielsa was always an option, and you can't tell me that they sacked Frank and then only started putting out feelers. Yeah. But if Bielsa was an option and has been an option for a while, why didn't they sack Frank at the start of the window to be able to give Bielsa a whole month to sign players? And we know Everton love throwing money about. They would have been able to sign five players easily that Bielsa would have wanted And then they could have had him. Instead, they left it to the last minute, had four days of the transfer window left going, Marcelo, do you want to come to us? And he's gone, no, not with that squad. I can't work with it. And then gone, oh, Sean, please save us. I just don't get their thinking. It makes no sense to me.
1: Yeah, there doesn't seem to be any sort of structure, plan, not not just like, Plan A, but sort of like Plan B, Plan C, Plan D, and etc. etc. It's the
0: you fact know. That if, all the plans if, are so different. Yeah, it's not but, like they've gone. Oh, we can't get dice. Let's go to Allardyce. We yeah. can't get Allardyce. Let's go. Like it's let's pick a safe option or a lunatic. And I don't know how you can align those two ways of thinking. Because
1: Everton haven't made a signing as far as I'm aware this window. There's there's three there's three clubs I think that haven't made a single signing, and I think it's Palace, Fulham, and I got a one as i'm happy to be proved wrong but
0: i can't think of one off the top of my head so i'm just going to have a look any yeah they've not signed any big yeah right the only one that i'm aware of who might be a good addition who's a loan return is um ellis sims they've just got him back from sunderland and he was banging them in admittedly yeah, league been... one but apparently uh, he has been very good this championship season. Oh yeah, they got promoted. Championship, apparently he has been very good and Sunderland fans are upset that he's left. Yeah. But other than that, you're right, there's been no squad additions. So
1: there there again is an issue. So you obviously went into the start of the January transfer window and I know, you know, we're going again sort of like banging on about Everton and they're just like being crap at sort of just general planning Um, and that's pretty much what we tried to get on with last last week Um, and we are going there again, obviously, but Obviously, that's with Deitch now being named manager. But you had Frank at the start of the window, obviously giving him a window to try and bring in players to try and turn things around and nothing's happened. So you've either not given him the money to do it or you're just not giving him the responsibility to go out and sign players and prove himself that he, he, he can work with you know, new signings and, and et cetera, et cetera. So now you've, you know, two two or three days before the end of the window, Deitch is coming in with, or, you know, Bielsa, if it was going to be Bielsa. Um, and again, just sort of like, well, you know, we, we can't really change anything for you right now. This is what you've got. Deal with it.
0: If you're going to sack a manager, sack them at the start of a window to give them a yeah. the whole window to build. There's
1: a, there's a time and a point at which you do it. And I think Everton, again, are just, again, one, just panicking.
0: Yeah, because they right. really They, did, they obviously didn't back, they didn't back Lampard in that they sacked him, but also they didn't sign any players for him to try and survive. And you can't, t- unless they've suddenly going, well, we're not signing anyone because if we go down, we're going to get absolutely murdered yeah. by parachute payments and clauses, relegation clauses in contracts. Um, but I think nothing's new in terms of e- the Everton hierarchy. Don't look like they know how to run a football club. But no. what has changed in that Sean Dyche, I do think, gives them a better chance of staying in the Premier League. I still yeah. don't think it's nailed on. No. But I, they I, definitely have a better yeah. chance.
1: Yeah. I, I think if they went down the Bielsa road, I think with his and if they had, had accepted his request and very, you know, odd request of un, uh, managing the under 21s for the time being to try and instill a sort of culture in the club, I think you are toying or saying that okay we'll risk relegation whereas if you sign Deitch on to a you know a two and a half year contract, you are still sort of saying there's a potential a percentage chance that we might go down but our priority is staying up.
0: But for everton fans who desire a certain type of football being played and I'm not an Everton fan I can't speak any everton fans do let us know what you think. but would Everton fans not rather take the hit? Of going down, having to work with them for a whole year in the championship, where they will be the strongest and biggest team, to then get promoted, and then have a new method of football being played at the club, that is actually exciting for fans. It's yeah, so I mean, in two they work, they work in two years' team, time, <laughs> under dive, they might stay in the Premier League. Hop on, hop on, just playing yeah. this kind of say like safe survival football. Hmm. And he proved prove me wrong, they might start excelling under him. Or do you take the hit with, go down one season with Bielsa in the Championship, you come back up and you play something new and exciting. I, I'm i not an Everton fan and I know relegation is literally the worst thought to try and face, particularly when they're in a sharing a city with a team that is obviously pretty successful, obviously not at the moment, but and that must be really hard to th- take as them going down to the championship. But I think maybe a refresh at every level of the cup is needed. They are getting a new stadium, go down, go down and get a new method of football, new style of football in the championship under a new manager. Yeah. In that time, get a new board. Like you could have had a whole refresh. Instead, this seems to be patching up a wound that is still, unfortunately, going to seep long term.
1: Yeah, it, it it does get a sense of, feeling like they're gonna paper over some cracks and and just try and sort of get by. Um mm-hmm. I, I do get I do get what you're saying and sort of part of me sort of agrees with that. But I think because they have this new stadium coming along, because so much money has been invested, it's almost desperation to just to try and stay up. And I don't think how many times you try and sort of paper over that crack or whatever, I don't unless things change at the top, Everton Football Club aren't going to change,
0: and the sad thing is, you turn around and go, "Well, what they need, they'll need new, uh, needs a new hierarchy. They'll probably need a new owner, and they'll need money being spent." But one thing that yeah. Everton has had over the last, say, eight years has been they've spent a ludicrous amount of money. Yeah. So it anyway. Um, new manager, good luck to them. Yeah, and, um... I, I,
1: I, yeah, I, I generally think with Dyke, like like you said, I I think the chances of staying up generally does improve um so we'll see like the squad that they have isn't the worst squads in the premier league there are worse squads in there especially those in the sort of like the bottom half of the table mm-hmm. so and you know we, we keep saying it time and time again that bottom half of the table is very tight if they can start yeah. getting a bit of run together then you just never know and I, I i do think deitch being out of the game for quite some time he's had a chance to sort of take a bit of a breather a bit of a refresh He's getting his sort of thoughts together and now he's going to just attack this sort of, you you know, both barrels, whatever, and just give it his best shot.
0: All of the other 14 have now played over half of their league games this season. So now is a fitting time to look back at the top performers. We are now going to do some other 14 Premier League awards for the halfway point. Probably means absolutely nothing, but I think it's a good opportunity for us to reflect, Tom. So...
1: Well, it's, it's very prestigious, you know. Hmm. This. So I'm don't sure,
0: don't try, try, try and dim it down. I'm sure everyone would want to win one of these. So, yeah. this far this season, we have raved about a number of Premier League managers. So, who do you think has been the best so far?
1: Right. I, I said sort of off show that I was going to try and keep it... um, Try and sort of share out a little bit. You know, it's, it's very easy to say Eddie Howe at Newcastle but I think most of these awards could generally be given out to Newcastle but I want to try and give it up a little bit of diversity give it a bit of sort of share the love and there's one team that apart from our usual suspects that really does stand out for me um, in the Premier League so far this year uh, and that is Fulham just purely on the sense that I think both you and I and I think a lot of pundits gave Fulham probably zero chance of staying up this year just purely because that's what Fulham does. Mm-hmm. You know, they come up, they go down, they come up, they go down, they come up, they go down. What Marco Silva has done so far this year is, you know, he's he's had you know a few players come in and he's just generally worked with that squad. And he's got one of his, I think, obviously his key things that has really allowed Fulham to sort of really push on this year is get... Alexander Mitrovic firing the Premier League, I think if he wasn't able to do... I mean, don't get me wrong, I don't think that's all down to Marco Silva himself. But I just think he's managed to instil some form of belief and just great sort of synergy amongst that Fulham team whereby they perform. And we can sort of say this about a lot of the other 14 teams whereby they just sort of perform beyond their expectations and they can do it time and time again. You look at the likes of Brentford, you look at the likes of Brighton, etc. Um, but I just think purely because of where Fulham were supposed to be, according to pundits and ourselves, and where they are, sort of knocking on the door of Europe and sort of consistently, consistently performing well against the big six, I do have... I'm going to say Marco Silva is my manager of the season so far.
0: Okay, I think that's a good point. He... He's definitely on my uh, on my list of um, managers I think deserve it. So, I had him down. I also had, understandably, Eddie Howe. And we can briefly talk about, yes, Newcastle have been absolutely phenomenal. They're t- pushing at the top end of the Premier League table. They've been keeping an unbelievable amount of clean sheets. They're just racking up points. Their home mm. record is absolutely incredible. Um And there is a very good chance I'll be playing in the Champions League next season, which is absolutely brilliant for them. So I think, yeah, we can't not mention Eddie Howe. But the next, the other person on my list, I think maybe, I feel deserves it perhaps a little bit more than even Marco Silva. And that is really tough for me because I think Fulham coming up from the championship and being, well, the seventh in the league now is an incredible task. Mm. I'm really tempted to give it to De so, my main okay. re- my main reasoning is, firstly, Brighton are sixth in the league. Don't get me wrong, we did expect them to be one of the higher performers um, of the other 14 this season. But my main reason is, when comparing it to other clubs um, and other managers, De Zerbe came in partway through because Chelsea pinched Graham Potter from Brighton, who was doing a good job there. He's then kept up their performances. They had a little bit of a downturn in form, but they've then come back really strong. They're performing at such a high level. And I suppose my main difference between his performance and Eddie Howe's is that for Eddie Howe, he was able to pretty much pick his own squad. He's been able to get rid of some players and bring other players in um, throughout the last couple of windows. Well, Deserby has just been given a squad. He turned up at the Brighton job. This squad was built by another manager. Admittedly, he, he's continued that style of football. He's then had hiccups along the way with certain players wanting to leave and go. So yeah. recently, Trossard's guy um gone to Arsenal. There's the whole Caicedo incident, which we'll get into later in the show. But I think for Deserby to come in from a foreign country to never manage at the level equivalent to the Premier League and to keep Brighton in contention for European qualification. So at the moment, um, they're currently sitting in sixth. Above them is Spurs in fifth. And they're only five points behind Spurs and they've played two games less. Which, for Brighton to even consider being close to Champions League spots, let alone sitting in fifth in the league, I think is an absolutely incredible task from the guy.
1: No, I, I don't disagree with that whatsoever. My... I, I... I guess probably the reason why I didn't choose the Zerbe is just purely of what Brighton's expectations were this year. Yeah, you're completely right. You know, it's not his squad. And for him to continue on the performance levels of where Brighton have been going, and, and in some regards probably going beyond what Graham Potter did in terms of performance for Brighton, you know, he's now probably unlocked another dangerous weapon in terms of Karo Matoma, as well so good I mean his, his goal of the weekend was just, just nonsense um, <laughs> absolute nonsense it's
0: absolutely outrageous um, isn't it? Like
1: he, he was playing in a different time like time zone just the, the amount of time he had on that but anyway um, I, I, I just think you know with Marco Silva coming up yes he does he does have a little bit of Premier League experience behind him uh, with um, Everton and Watford was it Watford? it was Watford and Hull yeah. And Hull. It was Hull. Yes, you're right. Um, you know, he, he's come in and sort of brought a team up from the Championship, instilled a sort of philosophy about how to play, players coming in. I, And just with the expectation of where Fulham were going to be this season, I just think that's why Silver Pips deserve it for me. Okay. Um, but I think both genuinely sort of top, top candidates for um, this award and will probably be for manager of the season come the end of the year.
0: Tom, is it as as simple to say that because um, Marcus Silver was your manager of the year so far that Fulham should be the team of the season for you so far? Or (sighs) do we just have to look at the Premier League table and go, well, Newcastle are currently the highest placed other 14 team. Let's just give it to them because I'm inclined to do so.
1: Option B. Um, you know, as much as I I would love to give Fulham um, team of the year, I think there are other sort of candidates as well that go along with that, but just purely because of where Newcastle are and the fact that they have it is the best defensive record not in the Premier League, but in Europe. Yeah, it's in Europe. You're talking about the likes, you know, Bayern, you know, Barca, Atletico Madrid under Simeone, who just
0: well, even terrorized. even the likes of Napoli who have been on Napoli, incredible runs, exactly. Newcastle beat their winning uh, that, undefeated it, run.
1: It's just stupid, you know. He's, he's had two two additions coming into that um, squad this season alone. The likes of Sven Botman and Nick Pope, who we'll get into a little bit later. Um, you know, for a, probably a combined fee of forty five million pounds, and just like that. Pretty much, I, I liken it probably to the way Alisson and Virgil Van Dijk improved Liverpool's defensive record. Just two players, just coming in and immediately improving the back four, um, and the way that they've played football. The way that also, again, Eddie Howe has unlocked certain players: um, Miggy Almiron, Joe Linton, um, obviously bringing the likes of Bruno Gimaraes and. Again, just creating this team. They haven't. He hasn't. Like Newcastle as a whole, haven't added too much. You know that they've got obviously got this money. They haven't added too much in the, in in the, in the sake of it. Right.
0: They haven't been extravagant, but they have added a fair amount of players.
1: They've had yeah okay. They've had okay. Now if you, look, had, had, if if you mean, look at if you look at their
0: what, lineup now yeah. compared to what I mean where it was they've, like they've, this time last year yeah. when Eddie Howe took over. They have added a lot, and but they have yeah. added quality, and they haven't just paid out big money no. or big names. I think I
1: think that that's probably the point that I'm sort of going around. You know, they've added they've added players clearly, and that sort comes with the money. But they haven't been, I think, what everyone was expecting, and just throwing money left, right, and centre. Ie, what Chelsea are doing right now. Oh, um, yeah, good point. Um, and it has obviously led them up the table, and I think you know the fact that they are knocking on the door of Champions League and still in the running uh, probably won't happen but still in the title race as it stands i think you can't not ignore that so for me newcastle our team of the season
0: so far Uh, so far the halfway point newcastle for me it's hard to disagree with the table i think once again we can look at the likes of fulham who are doing very good for a newly promoted side um, Brighton obviously ticking over their manager Poach, they've had players go, they just keep ticking over and we've spoken at the end of that. I think the other honourable mention is the other, the only other 14 team that makes up the top 10 and that is Brentford. I think Thomas Frank's yep. doing a wonderful job. They're attacking football, their counter-attacking style um, is absolutely fantastic to watch. They've had some absolute killer games in terms of just high scoring goal fests, yep. end-to-end staff. Um,
1: I mean, one of the games of the season so far in the Monday night game mm, to, yeah. to kick off the Premier League season. I mean, yeah. that was just phenomenal.
0: Yeah, but they always seem to be involved in goals. I mm. absolutely love, I think Thomas Frank's great in what he's doing so far. Um, so I can't really disagree at all with uh, with Brentford being an honourable mention there.
1: No, absolutely not. I don't, I don't um,
0: think they are the strongest um, no, I, out of them, but I think they've, Considering they had a really good last, like, first season back in the Premier League last yeah. season. And everyone goes, oh, well, second season syndrome. You don't know what yeah. to expect. Well, Thomas Rankin and his squad have proved everyone wrong. They've made a couple of good additions and they just yeah. keep ticking over and have performed really well.
1: Yeah, yeah, completely agree with that.
0: Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think Newcastle, unfortunately, well, I say unfortunately, they have been unbelievably good. So I think deserved uh, deserved midway point winners. Yeah, well done. Clubs in this winter transfer have been signing players to change their fortune for the rest of the season. But Tom, which summer signing yeah. hit the ground running, and you believe has made the biggest impact so far this season?
1: There's uh, yeah. that's a tricky one. You know, um, I it obviously it's hard to really see. If, of...
0: There were a lot of signings, so I mean, it's hard to see. I mean, there was about a, a, thousand, a
1: thousand signings at Nottingham Forest, um, but I. I Unfortunately, I think literally the only honourable mention there um would either be the likes of Morgan Gibbs White or um putting Henson, but ultimately will not be winning um the award from my side just purely because of where Notton Forest find themselves in the table. I don't think that's any sort of anything down to them because they both have performed fantastically well. Um also looking at the likes, you know, looking at Brighton players, uh, you know, Purvis of is sort of coming at the back and sort of Proved himself really, a like a real solid player for um for Brighton, and um, got the call up for a you know a World Cup appearance with Ecuador. Ultimately, led to a group group stage knockout. Um, but has performed very well for Brighton this year. Ultimately, I think though, I do have to get and I, I you know I have sort of said at this, at the top of this about trying to avoid too much in the way of Newcastle, but I look at what you can't deny their defensive record has been one of the reasons why they find themselves so high at the table this this season. And the fact that they have one of the best def- well, the best defensive record in Europe is just, again, just silly. Um, I am going to go, you know, there's been a lot of attacking players um, who really stand out this year um, in the other 14. But I'm going to go defensive and I am going to say that it's, it's a, it's a toss-up between two players, but I think with the way that he's just announced himself in the Premier League and just sort of got used to things straight away and hit the ground running, I'm going to have to say Sven Botland for £35 million from Lille.
0: Oh, wow. That is not where I thought you were going to go with that. Yeah, um...
1: I, it's, it's a bit left field, but I, I just think that, you know, he's just snuck into that sort of back four quite nicely and he's just proven to be just the colossus at the back.
0: I think that's I think that's he's been a really good addition to that Newcastle uh, back line, which is now absolutely incredible. In terms of um, in terms of my picks, I've got a couple in my shortlist. One of them is Botman's teammate Nick Pope. Obviously, with Burnley, everyone knew he was a quality keeper, and has just kept that yeah. up in Newcastle. Made some outrageous saves that have kept Newcastle in games at time like that one against palace is just a sniff of his value outrageous and to try and steer away from Newcastle a little bit because it's so easy to to give everything to Newcastle I think one for me that someone who I've been really impressed by is Ben Me at Brentford once again obviously been in the Premier League before um, with Burnley obviously unfortunately got relegated last season but I think he's been really solid for Brentford at the back. And I think maybe I'm slightly edging towards him a little bit more than maybe most others would be. I think it's because I had brought him into my fantasy team and he's got me some really valuable points. <laughs> um, and then one more player who I think has been really good is a player, once again, Premier League experience. But um, that would be Andreas Pereira. I think he's been really a really big highlight for Fulham. Obviously played at many before, but yeah. gone to Fulham for just just under ten million. And then so far this season, I think, has been really strong. He's got nine goals and assists in twenty-one games, which for a wide man, I think he's been really influential in the way they play, getting balls into Mitrovic, getting them into the danger area. He's been on set pieces for them and they've been a real threat. So yeah. I also really like them and, as honourable mentions. So, yeah. I think for me yeah. it's for me it's got to be Nick Pope, I think. I do think Nick Pope for me has been the standout. He has been so elite making world class yeah. saves regularly. I think he should have got more time in the World Cup, but I think he has been yeah. absolutely spot on for, yeah. for Newcastle this season and has been a along with Botman has been a key contributor to them being unbelievable defensively.
1: Yeah, I think in terms of best value, you, you can't sort of steer away from Nick Pope at all. I, I just think that is an incredible, incredible sign for the amount, the amount of money. The only reason, and basically that was the toss up between Pope and Bottman, between who who got uh, the nod from, from my end. The only reason I was swayed more towards Bottman as opposed to Pope is purely because Bottman has no Premier League experience whatsoever.
0: Yeah, I think that's...
1: so. I think with Pope, there is a sort of there, there is a, sport, a sort of expected performance level from him, and you know what you're getting. You know he's going to make saves. You know he's going to be sometimes quite clutch. Um, but I just think Botman was, you know, he's been sort of touted up a lot um, before he came to the Premier League from sort of some of the big six. Never made the move. Um, I think they wanted him in the January so before, before, didn't they? Yeah, and there was a bit of sort of like an unknown quantity about him, you know, as always is with, with players who, who have never played in the Premier League before. But he's just come in and just instantly made an impact, uh, which for some players does prove to be quite tough. Um, so that's the reason why it
0: just went bottom line over Pope. I think that's a completely fair and legitimate pick. And then we don't like to just focus on new shiny players, do we, Tom? Let's have a, a little bit of a think no. of players who have maybe been around for a cu- for a little bit what of a while now at the current team. So who do you think has been the best performer overall? So it can be a new signing, but it can be a player that's already just been in in the league and not necessarily new to it. So who do you think is one of those players? For me I've got a couple. I'm looking at the likes of Yeah. Ivan Tony has kept up his level of performances. Yeah, I think that um I think that Kieran Trippier has been absolutely phenomenal again for Newcastle and as captain has been unbelievably influential in their success yeah. defensively as well as Pope and Botman that we've just mentioned. And then my other other shout out would probably go to Mitrovic who <laughs> we know how good Mitrovic is he's absolutely phenomenal so I think there's a good yeah. number of players that we could mention here for best player overall.
1: Yeah, names. Yeah, that those names again sort of form my honourable mentions. Um, won't take the uh, the the pick for me, um, but you know you said the likes of Kieran Trippier. His, his career just seems to have gotten a second wind. Um, you know, obviously, one uh, La Liga with, with the Adesco Madrid, then got the move back to the Premier League, whereby he's now
0: just instilled himself
1: in that defence. And, and I think when
0: he moved back, everyone was a bit unsure, going, oh, well, you know, how good is he really? He's, he's yeah. spent some time at Atletico. Has that really gone that well from him? Then he's moved to Newcastle yeah. and he's gone, oh, I've moved here for footballing reasons. Most people rolled their eyes going, Footballing reasons being the number of zeros at the end of your paycheck, and yeah, exactly. I think he's proved everyone mostly wrong in that he has been world class defensively for them, and I think his his set pieces and deliveries has been hugely influential as yeah. well with them going Just forward.
1: Com- we completely shut up the haters, absolutely. Um, yeah you mentioned the likes of tony who again just astounds in front of goal his penalty record again still stands strong mitrovic as well as i mentioned sort of before when i was discussing marco silva um you know the fact that he has come up to the premier league you know when he was first here with newcastle he wasn't exactly firing on all, all cylinders and a little bits with um, with fulham as well you know he's had the record breaking season in the championship and that's just instilled a brand new sort of level of confidence in him where he's just now sort of taking the premier league by storm just being his own player and just doing what he does which is score goals for fun mm-hmm. um i you know, there is one other player, there's a couple of other players that I sort of look, looking at as well. I'm thinking the likes of Moisés Casado, who you know, we've gonna discuss, I think, a little bit later in terms of whether or not he's gonna go. Um, there's still has, as as a recording, still a couple of hours left and uh, on the transfer, uh, in the transfer window. Um, also the likes of Miggy Almiron, who has CC Jack Grealish, um has turned around his career, um, I'd say, um, go to that sort of level whereby, you know, he sort of came into Newcastle bit of a hot head, bit of a sort of just will run around and just not do much with the ball um, and just become a cult hero uh, on Tyneside. Um, That's a fair shout out. The other player that I would, and it's probably the player that stats-wise doesn't lead most things, but I think probably the player who sums up, I think, what the other 14 is all about is Alex McAllister. Um, Just because you know, his performances so far for Brighton this year have been sort of fantastic. He has had a couple of off games here and there, but I mean, I was looking at some of his free kicks that he's been taking this year, some of the goals that he's been involved in, his performance levels, you know, playing a little bit deeper under, under the Zerbi now um, and obviously got the nod uh, for Argentina in the World Cup and then goes and wins the bloody thing. Um, For him, you know, for, for a member of the other four team to go and now have a... a, a World Cup winner's medal on their, under their, um, you know, on their honours list, um, basically sums up what we're trying to do, I think with the pod, um, just sort of teams sort of on, sort of on the unknown, on the underdog sort of side of things and just playing to a great standard of football and just sort of proving everyone wrong. Um, so for me, Alexi McAllister just sort of sums up, um, everything sort of about what we're trying to go for.
0: Yeah, I think for a player that is a fairly unknown, he'd signed for Brighton at quite a young age and then he's went out on loan to Boca Juniors and then come back to Brighton. Um, he's got five Premier League goals so far this season, which is pretty good for a, a midfielder. And, he, and he's won a World Cup.
1: Yeah. It's
0: very hard to look past the fact that and was
1: instrumental in winning that World Cup. Yeah,
0: he, he was unbelievably good in the middle of the park for Argentina. So, yeah, it's a really tough one, this one, because I think there's been so many really good performers across the park for the mm. other 14. Um, but I'm happy to go with you if uh, Alexis McAllister is your final final decision. Tom, as you said, it is transfer deadline day and the closing hours of the January transfer window. There have been a fair number of transfers so far this month. Not as many as could be compared to uh, the summer transfer window where a huge amount of business was done. But I think there are um, a few transfers that are worth just having a little chat about so far. I think the main one probably so far is Anthony Gordon's recent transfer from Everton to Newcastle i think it's 40 i think it's 40 million up front which is absolutely mad how much they've put up front for him with then i think a possible five more million in add-ons so anthony gordon in total possibly 45 million do you think that's a good bit of business
1: is it good <sighs> like I think that's a sign in whereby you know I was sort of talking about um, sort of this a couple of minutes ago about Newcastle not exactly sort of splashing money around and sort of going down the Chelsea route. Mm -hmm. That's a sort of sign that puts me against what I just said. Um, You know,
0: not against it as a transfer?
1: I'm nothing against Anthony Gordon, and I think if if it works out, I think he's probably at the best club right now in terms of probably his development, you know, I think Eddie Howe can probably do wonders with him. Um try and sort of read in a little bit of his attitudes and just try and sort of sort of mold him into um into a player that obviously Newcastle can use and try and sort of use some of that sort of energy that he has and sort of do it for, for good as opposed to, you know, what we sort of saw with Everton which was sort like of the diving, and sort of just in general, just seem a bit of a, like a prima donna. But I, I just for someone who has i think it was it's like 60 odd appearances total in like premier league like in, in terms of his career like it, it's not that many and like he's he's his record isn't fantastic for newcastle to spend 40 plus million on him i just it it feels a bit much i mean this is a player also that was being touted for a 65 plus million pound move to chelsea in the summer so obviously there's been a bit of a value drop with where Everton have been right now mm. but i just mm, I, I, think, I will have to be proven
0: wrong, I, I think, on this one. Yeah, I think there's definitely something that's gone on in the background. We obviously saw unfortunate scenes the other week where um, Everton fans were chasing his car down the road. Yeah. Obviously, it seems like he's wanted out all window, which is a shame because he's a local lad, is my understanding. And for him to fall out of fall out with the club so significantly.
1: Yeah, it's Boyhood Club. It's just, yeah.
0: But, you know, I think. I think it's a good opportunity for him at a new club to prove himself um where there's probably not as much pressure on for him to perform. Because I think mm. if he's in the Everton lineup, there's a huge amount of expectation for him to deliver because they do need goals and he is a forward. Well, I think there's probably less of that at Newcastle because there are more players in attacking positions that he can actually. It's in a fight for the position, so you've got to like you've got to be on good form to get the team. Not oh, you're in rubbish form, but you're in the team and you've got to go and score, which is the case at Everton. Um as for the money, I think, oh, Newcastle have the money and they're showing that they can spend it. I don't think I don't think that's gonna break their bank. Um No. But yeah, I it hasn't given Well, Everton have then tried spending that money immediately and offered pretty much all of it to uh, Chelsea for Conor Gallagher, who I think were keen to accept it, but Gallagher didn't want to move to Merseyside right now, which you can't blame him.
1: No, Um, you can't blame him. But then again, it's like, how much game time is he going to get now? With the amount of signings that Chelsea have made.
0: For him, I would have been more keen on maybe suggesting a six-month transfer to Everton. And then if they stay up, then considering a permanent, yeah. um, but a permanent right now for that money for him, I don't think would have been right place, right time no. for uh, for Gallagher. Um, but yeah, Anthony Gordon, so he's now gone to Newcastle, and I think Eddie Howe does have a talent on his hand, he's only 21 years old, and I think there's uh, let's see what they can do with him. Um, and then in terms of other business, we've already gone over Trossard moving to Arsenal, which I think yeah. is obviously. Unfortunate for Brighton, but they've got Mitoma. Doesn't matter. Um, then some other. I haven't gone through all of the transfers, and obviously I think we've got some more today, which we're going to have missed, and there's going to be more tonight that we're definitely going to have missed. But I think ones that stood out to me were I think for us too, um, Daniel Bentley going to Wolves as a like former that. as a former South End goalkeeper. Uh, that definitely caught both of our eyes, having seen up. him play numerous times at Roots Hall the awful ground that it is. Um, you love it, really. Oh, God, it's so dreadful. Uh, for me, as a West Ham fan, it was particularly sad to see Craig Dawson go to Wolves. Get your
1: mini-violins out, everyone.
0: Uh, he over—he signed for like two million to West Ham. He was absolute... No one expected much of him. We all thought he was going to be pants because he'd got Tip Watford and West Brom relegated. And he's just become an absolute cult hero, a no-nonsense defender. And I think Wolves really have a class act on their hands. And I think West Ham and You get the reason, though, why he's... Oh, absolutely. He's gone because his family... I think there's something going on with his family and he wants to be closer to them up north. I completely get that. Yeah. Um. And I think the club and him have dealt with this really well because he asked to go in the summer transfer window The club went. We don't have an immediate replacement because they signed Aguero, who then got injured. So they asked him until can he hold off till January, and they both the club and the player have dealt with it perfectly. So I think that's really good, professionally, really, really professionally done. And I think Wolves, I I think a lot of West Ham player, a lot of West Ham fans will be telling Wolves fans what a player they've got on their hands because he's just a no nonsense defender, doesn't try and do too much fancy, just. If the ball's there to be hit, headed if there's a man to be tackled, he'll throw himself at it 100. percent So yeah, I think that's good business. Um, Chris Wood to Forest was one that's uh, was quite interesting. So Newcastle obviously don't feel that they need him anymore. He was a bit of a stopgap as a goal scorer at yeah. the end of last season. Now Callum Wilson's fit. They've signed Isak from um, from over in Spain.
1: Uh, I yeah. think, and he's back fit now as well.
0: Yeah, he's back fit. So to Forest, I think we've said Forest do need a goal scorer, so they've signed another another forward. Yeah, so and, he can join I mean, Awaneewi in um, in trying to perform and get goals. But I don't think that's a bad signing for either team. To be honest, it's a loan deal, and we can see how it goes.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's a solid move. He's he's not going to grab you like tons of goals, but again, sort of like the Mope with Everton, and he he can crop up with a goal here and there, which I think for Forrest, forest as much as they are starting to perform a little bit better. The the one thing that they do struggle with still is scoring. So you know a striker was definitely top on their priority, absolutely.
0: Mm-hmm. And then the final two that caught my eye, um Orsich going to Southampton. I think the main reason being Southampton have signed a forward which is really positive for them. Yeah. But also Orsich is a player that whose name has been banded around being signed for a premier league club for probably the last 4 years or so. Yeah. And he's a really good player. I've seen him score an absolutely fantastic goal against West Ham in the Europa League last season in our final group game. Um he's also the player that scored I think a hat-trick against Tottenham to knock them out of the Europa League the season before. Oh. He's he's a he's a good player. It just seems an odd move going to Southampton at this point.
1: Yeah. But, yeah, you're not wrong.
0: But they need more they need a forward and he is talented. So I'll be really interesting to see how he does there. Yeah. Um, I think once it
1: goes over the line, you don't sort of question it. I think mm-hmm. you just you're just sort of glad for those sort of reinforcements, which I think yeah. Southampton desperate, desperately need right now.
0: Exactly. And then the most rogue one for me is Rogue One. <laughs> rogue One standing by. Um is Beckham going to Brentford. Uh, no, no. Not really, he's probably not going to start. He's no, nowhere near the first team. At correct point.
1: me, correct me if I'm wrong. That is that's Brentford B, right? That's that's not actual Brentford. Brentford. So no,
0: he's, he's it's, not... it's as in I think he's gone into their youth setup. Yeah, but it's still the Brentford with Ivan Tony and Thomas Frank. I think that's it's... nepotism for you folks. Let's see what happens there. I mean, and... if he's anything like his dad. Yeah, he's going to have a wonder a foot on him, yeah. but it's a lot of pressure. Um, mm. And then a couple of uh, possible transfers that could still be wrapped up today and tonight. So there's, what, for us, there's five hours left of the window. Is it 11pm yeah, it stands, Yeah,
1: for the, UK, yeah, for the yeah. UK transfer window to finish. Um,
0: Keylor Navas to Forest from... Uh, is it PSG or Real Madrid right now?
1: Uh, he was PS- PSG, G, yeah. I think, yeah.
0: So I think... Interesting because Forest have Henderson. Obviously, I think they're acknowledging that that's only a loan deal. So maybe they won't look to extend it beyond the summer. But Kaylor Navas, Champions League winning goalkeeper, really good addition. Um, Connor Gallagher, see we've spoken about the possible Everton move, but I think there are other clubs sniffing at him, whether he actually moves this window or not. I, dep- I obviously will wait and see, but I think yeah. the likes of Palace would take him back. I think West Ham would be interested. Everton are obviously interested, and um, he's a great young player that I think hasn't been given a fair shot at Chelsea yet. But there's so much wrong going on at Chelsea right now. Um, I, he's not getting minutes, and that's going to be tough on him and his it's career. Tough now as well. Mm. I mean, I,
1: I, I would, you know, it, it'd be absolutely suited to go to Everton, but obviously, you know. He doesn't. You I, don't he want to touch doesn't. Up with the barge pole right now. He doesn't. Ideally, doesn't uh, he personally. Doesn't want to go there. But I mean, I think if he's sensible enough, if he wants game time, I think he's just got to Palace. Yeah. Yeah. Just got to Palace. You mm. know. You know the
0: club. You know. He knows the Palace. He knows the score. Absolutely yeah. love you there. So. Mm. Yeah. I think we'll, we'll see what happens there. Yeah. And then finally, um, and we're going to go into this more in our following section, but. Or well, is this Caicedo trying hmm. to uh, go to trying to force through a move to anyone, I think. Um, but he what well, he had planned to maybe go to he's, Arsenal. He's sort of gone but, on strike
1: a little bit, hasn't he?
0: Yeah, but then Arsenal have just signed Jorginho today for twelve million. So yeah. unless Chelsea decide to stump up a lot of money, which they're very good at. Yeah. I'm not sure whether As he's far as I'm aware,
1: I think Arsenal still are still are still trying to make the move.
0: Oh, directly. are they? Okay.
1: But I I think there's a huge amount of hurdles. I Brian simply just don't want to get rid of him now.
0: Yeah, it, it's tough, though, because do you take the money now or do you keep him around and have a player that doesn't want to play for you? Yeah. Um, his statement was interesting.
1: So this is directly from uh, Moises uh Instagram account. He says... I'm grateful to Mr. Bloom and Brighton for giving me the chance to come to the Premier League and I feel I have always done my best for them. I always play football with a smile and with hearts. I am the youngest of 10 siblings from a poor upbringing in Santo Domingo in Ecuador. My dream always to be the most decorated player in the history of Ecuador. I am proud to be able to bring in a record transfer fee for Bryant, which would allow them to reinvest it and help the club continue to be successful. The fans have taken me into their hearts and they will always be in my heart. So I hope they can understand why I want to take up this magnificent opportunity. So part of me think, well, one of those one of those uh, paragraphs was certainly written by an agent. Um, I, I wouldn't say that's written by Moises Caicedo himself. Um, in the fact that, you know, you can allow to reinvest and sort of et cetera, et cetera.
0: Yeah, it's very um, P.R.E., isn't it? Which yeah, you can understand because it is that, but it's a weird line to take because, for me, all of this business should always be done behind closed doors. Yeah, and yeah, it, he's almost trying to embarrass the club into a move there. Get yeah, the deal it's, done.
1: It's unprofessional, and I don't mm. like it. I don't like it when players sort of go down this sort of route of trying to force through. You know, you've never been treated badly by Brian whatsoever.
0: No, they bought you from absolutely nothing and put you in a system and a squad and developed you as a player to the point yeah. where you are probably worth 50 yeah. 60 million pounds
1: ultimately you know is he going to be there come the start of next season and at the close of the summer transfer window probably not because i do think during the summer i think clubs will come in for certain brighton players just because that is the nature of, of the beast brighton setup that uh, is brighton setup um and to try and force a move literally a couple of days we know how difficult january is in terms of being a window where you know if you don't have the right replacements available then it is a very tricky window to negotiate um i just i think he needs to sort of take a step back a little bit and just sort of pipe down yeah Um, he's had a good season and he's been you know one of brighton's sort of um, players of the season and one of the players of the of the league season so far in terms of the other fourteen, but there are just ways to go about it. You know, we were talking about um, the likes of you know Craig Dawson going off towards and a completely different player. You know, understand completely different situation, but the way that was handled, there's just a certain level of professionalism. At the end of the day, you're still a professional football player. Yeah. There's ways to handle business, and that's just not the way to do it.
0: No, not at all, and I think it's a little bit embarrassing. Yeah. I so, do feel
1: sorry for Roberto deserve Serbi, but I think you know he's he's sort of he's set out at his stall, and we will obviously have a conversation with the lad behind closed doors. But what do we say
0: about Brighton? It will not affect them. No, it won't. Absolutely not. They'll just, but, they'll just rock on. They'll just keep going. And yeah, yeah, I love them for it. So, um, yeah, it,
1: it, but it, it is nice to see every now and again just Brian taking a little bit of a stance. You know, they won't be taking the mick of, effectively.
0: No, people won't be taking the mick out of them. Okay, and obviously we have still a couple of hours left of the transfer window, um, and I'm sure if there are any big moves, we'll cover them in next week's episode. And welcome to Stats Corner. Tom, as we have just mentioned, Moises Caicedo has tried to force his way out of Brighton in a slightly embarrassing way. Um, He won't be the last to try this, and he certainly wasn't the first. So for this section of Stats Corner, I want to take you back to January transfer window of 2013, and for a story that has gone down in Premier League history. I think I know where you're going with this. So Peter was a young man born in Tashkent, Uzbek in the former USSR in 1981. He'd spent his life moving around Europe and by the age of 21 he'd found work in France and for half a decade before returning to his homeland in Russia. That was of course until his skill and application of his trade caught the eye of Roberto Di Matteo who at the time was in charge of West Bromwich Albion and wanted to recruit the young man to join his squad in the black country. The young Nigerian hit the ground running for the baggies, bagging 15 goals and 9 assists in 32 league games in his first season, firmly becoming a fan favourite, keeping them competitive in the Premier League as a newly promoted side and finishing 11th, a very respectable finish for a side who have just come up from the Championship. After this first successful season, West Brom tied Mr Adamwingi down for another three years with a rightly deserved contract renewal. He then followed his first season up with another strong season in 2011-12, finishing the season with 10 goals and 3 assists from 30 league outings. He had truly become one of the most prominent forwards in the other 14. It was this hot form which may have possibly contributed to Odden Wingie having his head turned, Understandably, his confidence was at an all-time high going into the 2012-13 season and his third campaign with the Albion. Come the winter transfer window, Peter's form had been a bit hit and miss, only scoring four goals in the league running up to January. But there was interest from Premier League rivals, namely Queen's Park Rangers. Now, Queen's Park Rangers have been promoted into the Premier League in the 2010-11 season and finished 17th in the Premier League. And it was all changed for QPR. They were fully invested in a managerial merry-go-round, with them going from Neil Warnock to Mark Hughes to Harry Radnap in just 10 months. QPR were also something of a Nottingham Forest of the day in terms of transfers, with them signing the following across the two transfer windows of the 2012-13 season. Christopher Samba, Loic Remy, Stefan Beer, Junior Hoylet, Jason Park, Jermaine Genus, Ryan Nelson, Andy Johnson, Robert Green, Andros Townsend, Basingwa, Julio Cesar and Fabio. Harry Redknapp joined the club in November 2012, with a lot to do as QPR was struggling despite all their squad additions and they needed goals. Enter Peter Odomwingi. So, on the 31st of January 2013, the final date of the January transfer window, clubs were looking to wrap up their business and secure their squad to see them through to the end of the season in May. QPR decided they needed to add another forward and a goal-getter in their squad, and based on recent seasons, there were fewer better options than Peter Odenwingi. So they approached West Brom, and in a flash, Peter Odenwingi is in his Range Rover and on his way, making the over 100-mile journey down to London. Things are rarely as seamless in life as we would hope and imagine. This was unfortunately the case for Peter. While he was hammering his way down the M1 on his way to the west side of the capital, transfer negotiations had hit a speed bump. Although he wasn't on his finest form, and their new signing Romelu Lukaku was free-scoring, West Brom didn't just want financial compensation for the Nigerian forward. As being so close to the deadline, it wouldn't have given them much time to secure a decent replacement. So West Brom asked QPR for Junior Hoylet. The former Blackburn man had only joined QPR in the summer for a fee just shy of £5 million, but for the baggies he was a prime experienced and competent replacement for Peter Odenwingi. QPR did accept these terms and were happy for there to be an exchange in personnel. So far, so good for all parties involved. At this time, Pete Holdenwingy had arrived at Loftus Road, ready for the standard medical, a contract signing, and a couple of lovely snaps with the press with his new gaffer. Then, like the Kool-Aid guy smashing his way through a wall, Junior Hoylet enters the frame. Having recently moved down from Blackburn, Hoylet didn't much fancy a journey back up north to the West Midlands, as he was enjoying the London life like all young professionals in their 20s do. So, the layout of the playing field is as follows. QPR and West Brom have agreed a deal. Hoyliet does not fancy a move. And Peter Odenwingi is currently occupying a car park space at Loftus Road. To make matters worse for the lad, deadline day had become the new big craze over the last few seasons, with Jim White on TV with his yellow tie and white teeth that are as bright as the beacons of Gondol. And as part of this phenomenon, Each ground was home to a Sky Sports News presenter. The good news was that Peter had company. The bad news, he had a friend to document the whole affair for national television. According to Wingy, he said that he and the rest of the West Brom squad genuinely believed that the deal had gone through. But poor Peter couldn't even get into the ground for a cup of tea, stuck in a cold car park in January without a lifeline. Unfortunately for Peter, the transfer never went through. Hoylitz stood strong, and QPR, unfortunately, ended up getting relegated from the Premier League. While West Brom, on the other hand, had one of their strongest finishes in the Premier League and ended up finishing in the top 10. So as to why Peter wanted that move, we'll never know. For his infraction and disrespect shown to the club, Peter was then suspended for a number of games for West Brom. And for the rest of the season, he only scored an additional one Premier League goal. And this pretty much saw the end of Peter Oddenwingi at West Bromwich Albion, who then proceeded to move on and go yo-yoing around various leagues and clubs, both domestic and international. And now, every transfer window deadline day, dear old Peter Otterwingi will forever be remembered for trying to force a move to a club that wouldn't even let him through the front door. Mm -hmm. When commenting on the situation after the fact, Harry Redknapp said, he made a mistake turning up to the ground. Thanks, Harry. No shit. (laughs) (laughs) So, Tom, it's obviously a moment that's gone down in Premier League history, just peaceful Domingue in his Range Rover in the car park in London and no transfer to be done.
1: It generally was a glorious moment to watch. I mean, I, I remember watching that on Sky Sports News literally just unfolding, literally just trying to sort of piece together whether or not Liverpool would be sort of adding any sort of players coming in just to sort of strengthen um, going into, you know, what was, I think we were trying to be linked with the likes of like Yevon yeah, anchor or someone like that um so I was waiting for that move to go through uh ultimately never did uh, as most sort of Liverpool deadline day moves never do um but then you're sort of rocking up and then some there's like initial reports sort of coming out from Loftus Road and you know um, I can't remember who the reporter was but he's sort of explaining that it could be a potential situation um rocking up with Peter Odenwingi trying to sort of force through a move um, or he's coming down um, for talks um, seeing him sort of arrive in the car they go over to discuss with him and he's literally just sitting in their car sort of doing a, a fantastic Harry Rednapp impression by the way of sort of sitting in a car with his arm out type thing um, but I mean Christ if you're looking at sort of like iconic League moments there's none better I think than Peter Odenwingi sat outside Loftus Road In his car, trying to force a move That is never going to happen Like, there are other Deadline day moments that I just think Are up there, but that's just never Going to be topped, I'm sorry
0: Yeah, it's a bit of It was a bit Unfortunate for him, because if And I have heard him speak since And he does sound like a genuinely Nice guy, so it is really unfortunate What happened to him, if he believed the deal Was being done He probably went down Assuming because it's quite a long way down, he wanted to get it through. Yeah, it was the fact that he so publicly spoke to the media while down there. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So after it happened, the Albion chairman Jeremy Peace said he acted unprofessionally. Um. He saw out the rest of the season, but then before he then at the end of the season in the summer transfer window of 2013, he ended up going to Cardiff he then got moved to Stoke yeah. he then went on loan to Bristol City he then ended up going to Rotherham before seeing out the remainder of his career in a club in east java so in indonesia so not really not really the end he would have thought he would have given the first couple of seasons at west brom were so promising um it was I don't think he helped himself that. Understandably, he was very unpopular with fans. Yeah. Steve Clark then proceeded to kind of integrate him into the team again by using him as a substitute on occasions. But then Alden Wingy then took to Twitter throughout during the season in March and then went and criticised West Brom over his lack of starts, which is...
1: Yeah, yeah. Like
0: when you're digging a hole, just stop it with the shovel and yeah. he just he just doubled down Peter just bit. kept on digging. So yeah.
1: yeah. I, I, I think just sort of, you know, it mo- moises if you if you're sort of listening to the pod. Um, and I've heard he's a out.
0: regular. I've heard he's a yeah. regular um, fan, but you know, uh, he yeah, might he might have moved on from this pod. He might have obviously, chosen...
1: Yeah. By the time this pod probably comes out, you might have made your decision already. Yeah. Big um, six podcast. Yeah. This is uh, this is what could happen. So um, yeah, just play it sensible. Um, but yeah, um, fantastic moment I don't think it will ever ever be um, sort of uh, lived down. Um, no. Yeah. I mean, he was Peter was sort of one of those players where he, you know, he was like a quite a typical sort of lower level um, in terms of the Premier League, sort of other 14 striker who would crop up with a goal here and there. And it might sort of occasionally appear in your fantasy team sort of once every sort of three months or so during during the season, just when he was on a little bit of a hot streak. Um, but then, yeah, once... and Yeah, West Brom was a, at that point, obviously they had uh, Lukaku, I think, on loan, um, who banged the goals in for them. And they had just, I think, that one good season. In 2012, 2013, and they obviously went downhill after
0: that. He wanted to go to QPR, who had finished 17th the season before.
1: But I think if you remember, I think QPR had come in money at that point, hadn't they? Well, they'd
0: come in some money and they made loads of signings. Yeah. But still, even when he went to them, they were still in the relegation zone and below West Brom. And then they ended up finishing 20th. Mm. So, if anything, if he'd gone back to West Brom, deeply apologized. He could have salvaged something of a career. And yeah. he could, on reflection, he would have made the right move by not going to QPR, who were awful. But instead, doubling down and just making matters worse for him, he really did. Yeah. Yeah. It, a lapse of judgment, and let's just say a, an error made by a reasonably young man. So, yeah. Anyway, so that was the unfortunate tale of Peter Ardenwingi. Let's hope no other players really fall into that trap and embarrass themselves in yeah. such a way ever again well Tom as we mentioned at the top of the show although we didn't have Premier League football this week we did have some FA Cup games um I think the main issue I want to talk about with FA Cup and I say issue is that there are only five teams from the other 14 still in this late in the competition um and a sixth team who have to have a replay it's just quite disappointing for me that so many have been knocked out in earlier stages. I know that, um, not this weekend, but the time before, Villa got knocked out, Newcastle got knocked out. Um, and we haven't had too many Premier League other 14 head-to-heads. I know that Wolves got knocked out by Liverpool after a replay. But so far, we've got confirmed Brighton leads Leicester, West Ham and Southampton from the other 14. And then Fulham have a replay. Given that there's been a number of of the big six, already knocked out. Is is this a prime time for one of these select few? Because based on who's left, you've got these six members of the other 14. I think you've then got Man City, Man U and Tottenham. And then other than that, it's then lower league teams. So is this prime for these select few clubs?
1: It could definitely lead that way. I mean, you're looking at the draw and... Um, I think the what was the fifth round draw? That was um, so, so we've got
0: of other 14 fixtures, there's some got that haven't been confirmed. going up
1: against potentially Sunderland or Leeds. So that is initially one potentially one other 14 team going there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then you've also so there's yeah. no sort of direct sort of conflict apart from just that one. Yeah, and then West
0: Ham do have to go to Old Trafford as well. But Um, other than that... an exception,
1: all the other 14 in the first round do go up against lower league opposition. So there is the potential.
0: Yeah, Um, the quarterfinals could be uh, littered with some... uh...
1: Absolutely beckoning. Um, If I was Brighton right now, you know, you're going obviously away to Stoke City, who aren't in a fantastic moment right now, but still Championship... And uh, the Britannia, I don't know if it's still called the Britannia. I, I just call it Britannia. It's it known was. as the Britannia, isn't it? Yeah, um, that could potentially be an upset, but I, with Brighton playing the way they are right now, and <clears throat> the weekend, um, uh, yeah, uh, I can see them putting on a performance. So, like we're saying with um, with the League Cup right now, with um, obviously Forest didn't realistically. Put in a performance, unfortunately, um, this week uh, at United uh, against United, and will require a miracle at Old Trafford to turn that around. But Newcastle doing what Newcastle does um, against Southampton. Newcastle, I think they're out of it, aren't they? Newcastle uh, of, the FA, of the FA Cup, yeah, they lost. Yeah.
0: They lost in the. Um, they lost in the third round to Sheffield Wednesday. Which is a bit of a bit of a shock. Oh, yeah, that was the
1: shock, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah because and also
0: then Villa lost to someone rubbish as well. Um
1: so yeah, it has been a little bit disappointing. But I think just with the way that draw is lined up, there is the potential for teams um to go on a little bit further. You know, Southampton we've already described this year as the cup team as opposed to being a Premier League team. Um obviously they still hope to be a Premier League team at the end of it, but Um, They have had good cup runs um, so far this year and with Luton Town or Grimsby as their opponents. Um, Also, that's an interesting one. Southampton against Luton, potentially. So Nathan Jones going up against his former side. Absolutely. There. And then um, Leicester looking on against either Blackburn or Birmingham. Uh, We've mentioned Stoke and Brighton. Rex and Walshepard and I going up against Tottenham. Um, I mean, that
0: game itself. That would would be an interesting watch.
1: Um, But yeah, I, I... it's, it's an interesting one. I think there is the potential there
0: for, uh, for teams to, to go on a little bit further. It, it's yeah. just interesting whether or not they do. Mm, absolutely. So my two main things that from the draw and from this FA Cup week, um, weekends that I want to pick up, other than, obviously, I just feel a little disappointed that certain big teams haven't gone through. Um, Brighton being now Liverpool's bogey team, so they've knocked them out of the FA Cup now. They yep. also beat them in the league and drawn with them in the league. Uh I think it just goes to show how good Brighton have been. The fact that they've played Liverpool three times this season, won't play them again, and haven't lost to them. Yeah, uh, I mean it helps them down
1: midfield, but yeah.
0: Yeah, but still Brighton absolutely phenomenal. Um yeah. the other bit that really annoyed me is because they did the draw just before the West Ham derby game.
1: Yeah, I did it on the um on the yeah, one show. So they did it on the that's... one
0: show, and so they cut away from, it was cool. weird, they cut away from ITV to the BBC to watch Chappers do the draw with yeah. Jane Genus and Alex Scott and then went back to ITV. But they were talking about it on ITV. So they had um Enni Luco and they had Joe Cole, and it was Mark Pugatch, who I really rate. But when talking about the draw, so between Derby and West Ham, one of them's going away to Old Trafford. And they described after uh, about the Derby-West Ham game and the draw going, well, you know, part of that, the result is that they get to go to Old Trafford. I'm like, what? What do you mean? Like, as much as for a small, like, let's be honest, if you're a League Two side or a National League side, going to a place like Old Trafford with such history, which it does, I kind of get you making that comment. But for about West Ham and Derby, who have been there not that long ago, yeah. and also making it seem like, oh, well done, lads. You've made it this far. You get to go to Old Trafford. I'm really annoyed I by mean, it because, firstly, Old yeah. Trafford is a dump of a ground. It's oh, in man, Manchester. Yeah. It's horrendous. It's, it's, it's not a great place to go. So for them to be going, oh, the real prize is going to Old Trafford, that just really infuriated me because I'm like, well, no, it isn't a prize. Because whoever gets there deserves to be yeah. there, and they got the opportunity to go through and then get through to the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. Not yeah. none of this. Not uh, it. Just absolute. I was just watching it, and it would have been for any team in the other fourteen or whoever's going through there. That going yeah, I, and being I, like, I think, oh well, yeah. you are oh, well done, guys. You get to go to Old Trafford. Aren't you lucky? No.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's like it's lazy um making that sort of comment, and th- there's a bit of a cynic in me whenever it comes to the FA Cup and Manchester United because typically whenever get whenever Manchester United get drawn for some reason what whatsoever um they always get drawn at home, so Man um, United first... always play it seems at home, and it's always the TV game.
0: No, yeah, well, West Ham haven't had a home draw this season in the FA Cup so far. There. So yeah. they might win it by not even going going away. But yeah, it's just that comment about Manchester United. And the, yeah. once again, it's lazy and it's this yeah. big, big six kind of nonsense. Big six you're gonna of, oh, 14, you should be 100%. so grateful you get yeah. to go to Manchester.
1: No. And like, let's not forget, like a couple of years ago in the League Cup, they'll be knocked out Manchester United.
0: Mm. Yeah,
1: it was when Frank was in charge.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, I remember the game. Um, yeah. Anyway, I'm not going to yeah, go it's on about that anymore. I can
1: see you venting, I can see you raging. I can see it si- coming out of your head.
0: It's just silly and lazy, and yeah. I just think they can do better.
1: I, I just think because there's this so like perceived glamour about United and the FA Cup, um, even though Arsenal, the team that has over history, won it more, but yeah, yeah. whatever.
0: Mm. Either so, way.
1: Yeah, weird comment, don't like it.
0: Moving yeah, on. But- Let's look forward to the uh, the next round of the FA Cup, where I'm sure yeah the other 14 will do us proud. Okay, Tom, we do have some Premier League football next week, which we we're back. very excited for. Currently, Fab Four prediction standings are you on 24 points, myself on 26. Um, but before we get into our predictions, can you please tell us what games we have to look forward to next week?
1: So for match week 22 uh, of the Premier League 22-23 season, we have the West London derby on Friday with Chelsea going up against Fulham. The lunchtime kickoff sees Sean Dyche in his opening game up against Arsenal. And then the starts of the three o'clocks, we've got Brighton against Bournemouth. We've got United against Palace. Brentford take on Southampton. Wolves against Liverpool. And Villa against Leicester City in the last of the three o'clocks, and then the evening kickoff on the Saturday sees Newcastle go against West Ham, and then Super Sunday we have Nottingham Forest against Leeds United. For all you FPL users out there, there is a double game week this week. It is Manchester United against Leeds United. That is on Wednesday the eighth. That's an eight o'clock kickoff.
0: Oh, so Tom, some spicy fixtures there. Uh, spicy that. So. Fab four, we've got the South Coast Derby of Brighton v Bournemouth. Yes. Brentford v Southampton, so the Battle of the Red and White Stripes. We then have Nottingham Forest against Leeds, so the battle of who can talk about history the most. Yep. And then Newcastle v West Ham, so the Lee, Bowyer, Kieran, Dyer, all. Um, who else has played for but Craig Bellamy has played for both. Um Nobato Solano, Denver Bobby Solano. Um, so yeah, it's it's a derby of sorts considering how many yeah. I think you could do a, a full eleven of t- players that have played for both teams, to be honest. So that is obviously a big game with Newcastle being on a phenomenal run and West Ham obviously needing to keep up momentum. Ooh, John but... Joe
1: Shelby in your books at one point as well.
0: Mm, no. no. What we missed about talking about him on the the transfers, apparently yeah, he might we be did. going to Forest. I did, yeah, um, I did say that, yeah. Anyway, Bryson v Bournemouth. Deserby, hot runner form. Bournemouth haven't won in many moons. What do you think? On
1: paper, uh, I think this can only go one way. Um, but I think Bournemouth will make a game of it. They've made a couple of signings in the su- uh, summer, uh, this January. So have strengthened um, in certain key areas. They have brought a bit of depth in their front line. But with the way Brighton are playing at the moment, whether or not, you know, there could be a tinge of, you know, is Clisado trying to disrupt the team and a little bit like that. But ultimately, I think Brighton will just be business as usual. Um, So I will go for a... I'll go for a 3-1 Brighton win.
0: I'm going for same goal difference, but I'm going for a Brighton 2-0. I just don't think Bournemouth really do much on the road. Hmm. Brentford v Southampton. Um, Brentford being the team that love to score, Southampton being a team that are quite leaky. Um, obviously, we have mentioned that Southampton signed Orsic this week. Brentford, I don't really think have made many additions or at least no first team additions this window, but I don't think they really need to based on their performances so far.
1: No, they've been performing well. Um,
0: so I, I don't see anything but a home win here because... Brentford are really good and Southampton. Yeah are just their form is very similar to Bournemouth. It's it's all standing at the top of Everest, isn't it? It's just looking downhill. Yeah. So what do you I think it'll be a Brentford 3-1. See,
1: so, yeah, I, I do think Brentford will go out and win this game, but I do think it'll be a little bit closer. I think Southampton Southampton might try and tap into a little bit of their um their cup run form. Orsic, again, like you mentioned, has come in, and hopefully that will strengthen them in the uh, attack. Uh, attack, it uh, strengthen them in the attacking side of things. But I will go for a bit closer game. But I still think Brentford win. I think this will be a two-one Brentford win.
0: Nice. Then Nottingham Forest v Leeds, um, a classic Championship fixture or a Premier League fixture of the nineties. I. Oh, I don't know. I think Leeds have been playing well recently. I think Marsh has got them ticking. Now they've signed their new American in Western McKenney I think they've also been playing well. They had a good FA Cup uh, game at the weekend, as well as their replay the weekend before or the week before. Um, Patrick Bamford's come back and in looking quite good. So I think it might be a 2-1 Leeds win. You
1: know what? I'm always going to go for that. Um, but unfortunately, you've taken it. So, I think there is also a lot to be said about the way Forest are playing right now. But again, they're not—they're not scoring fantastically. Um, They're not scoring that many. But I think Steve Cooper is starting to get that team to also tick as well. I think you're absolutely right about elite as well. I think they've just been a little bit unfortunate in terms of the results. I think Marsh has been happy with the performance level that he's seen, just not necessarily converting that into points.
0: Um but I'll go for an entertaining 2 draw. 2-2 draw, nice. Then we've got West Ham v Newcastle. So, um, oh, I'll just remember, they're both managed by Allardyce and Glenroder, so more overlap. Um, So West Ham, Newcastle, I think that Newcastle don't concede many goals. West Ham... I think Moyes has started to get a defence and a system that makes them look better defensively. So I'm going to go really boring. I think it's going to be a nil-nil result because Newcastle love drawing games and West Ham. I think you ask any West Ham fan, they would currently take one point from that fixture.
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And again, ideally, I would have gone for a nil-nil draw as well because like you said, Newcastle defensively best in Europe. But Newcastle of recent haven't been fantastic in front of goal. They have struggled to find the back of the net recently. Um, West Ham, on the other hand, you know, the win against Everton last time out obviously turned out to be um, Frank now in the coffin. Um, did start, you know, three points against a relegation rival is so huge. Whether that gives them a little bit of buoyancy, a little bit of sort of like spur on to try and sort of turn the season around but then again you're going to the best defensive record in Europe um, at St James's Park and Eddie Howe's Newcastle I just think I don't see West Ham scoring um, but I I will say Newcastle nick it 1-0
0: Well we'll see how those games all go at the weekend and it looks like an exciting game week and hopefully for the other Uh, members of the Other 14, they will be able to take some scalps of the big six. And with those being done, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Other 14 podcast. So thank you for downloading and listening to this week's episode with Tom and myself. Please subscribe to us and give us a rating on your podcast platform of choice and do recommend us to all of your friends, family, and other 14 fans. So, Tom, thank you for joining me on this week's episode, and it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. And we'll see you next week on The Other 14 Podcast.